If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Just as a reminder, this is part 22 of a multi-part series. Today, we have Sonia interviewing John. We have been looking at the question of the age of the earth and whether it is important or not. We saw that the Bible does teach that the earth is about 6,000 years old, which contradicts the claim of secular science that it is 4.6 billion years old. Some apologists, the so-called old age creationists, accept that the earth is 4.6 billion years old and say that teaching it is 6,000 years old, which is young earth creationism, is a stumbling block to apologetics and drives people away from the gospel. If that were so, we cannot change what the Bible says about this. And in fact, the broad data seems to show that the opposite we lose people when we compromise on what the Bible teaches about creation. The most comprehensive study of which we know on this issue found that believing the Bible has errors in it, as it would if it were to be wrong about creation, is much more significant factor in causing young people to abandon the church than a supposed contradiction between the Bible and secular science. We saw that the world's top Hebrew experts from leading universities who do not believe in inerrancy, so do not feel the need to make the Bible fit with the claims of secular science, all agree that Genesis 1 certainly teaches that God created the world in six earth rotation, 24-hour days. Then we began to look at what is said by Christians who argue that the earth is 4.6 billion years old, and we saw that they not only make certain errors about the laws of science, but particularly that they overlooked the fact that the entire creation week was a week of miraculous activity. The laws of science did not take over the operation of the universe until after the six days of creation were finished. Furthermore, scientific data such as the radiometric dating that supposedly shows the Earth is 4.6 billion years old only does so if invalid assumptions are used. Much scientific data actually shows the Earth is young. Next, we looked at the arguments old age creationists raise to deny the plain meaning of Genesis. 1. Next, we looked at the arguments old creationists raised to deny the plain meaning of Genesis 1, such as claiming the word translated day here can mean long periods of time. But in fact, in the form in which it appears in Genesis 1, it can only mean an earth rotation 24-hour day, or the daylight portion of it. We saw that plants could indeed have been made appear in one day, and Adam could have certainly named all the animals that existed within a day. We also saw that day 7 is a 24-hour day, even though the ending is not mentioned. God rested or ceased from his creative work. This cannot mean the day continues till now. Now, it should be noted, the age of the earth is not a scientific issue. A Christian is saved regardless of what he believes about the age of the earth. Nevertheless, Christian teachers and apologists still need to teach the biblical truth about this matter. We cannot deny what the Bible says and still maintain that we are upholding biblical authority. 
Old age creationists bring up a canard of church opposing Galileo's ideas that the earth moves about the sun, but actually it was a scientist of the day who opposed his view. And the Bible doesn't actually say the earth does not move in space. It does say that God created the world in a maximum of 7,687 years ago. In addition, attempts to separate the first two verses of Genesis 1 from the rest of the chapter to allow for a long passage of time between verse 2 and 3 also fail. The days do not begin with, and God said, as this phrase appears more than once in the same day a couple of times. It is a formula, there was evening and morning on the sixth day, that marks the end of each day, so that all before it belongs to that day, meaning day one started with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Day seven doesn't require this closing formula because it is not followed by another day of creation. If you look at the tenses of the verbs in the Hebrew text, we see in the first two verses they're perfect and after that imperfect. But that does not indicate the passage of time between Genesis 2 and 3. This is actually the standard style for historical narrative. There are things in the Bible that modern science has helped clarify, such as healing of the blind man in Mark 8, 22-25. But none of these contradict what the text says. We looked at the gambit that there could be billions of years between the days, but we saw that does not work. The creation of plants in a 24-hour day 3 and then billion years later the creation of sun in a 24 hour day 4 and the creation of all the land animals on a 24 hour day 6 cannot be reconciled with the old age secular science. So unable to reconcile the biblical creation with secular science, some old age creationists have resorted to claiming that the creation account in Genesis 1 was never intended to be taken as history but as a metaphor. However, there is nothing in the text to justify such a claim. And this approach opens up the door to writing off all the miracles in the Bible as mere metaphors. Now we continue the discussion. Now let's look at where the denial of young earth creationism ends up taking people, even Christian leaders and apologists. Now we saw Dr. Lennox uh, considers Genesis 1, the creation account, to be a metaphor. But that's just a start. Let's see where William Lane Craig goes with this. People who think that biblical inerrancy implies young earth creationism are quite mistaken, entirely wrong. It's a matter of hermeneutics, as you said. What kind of literature is this, and then how should we interpret it? What do you think of that? Uh, I think, didn't we already talk about the fact that Genesis is clearly a historical narrative? That's right. Objective analysis of the genre tells you that it is historical narrative, and we showed that the top Hebraists in the world, from the top universities in the world, will tell you that. That is exactly what Genesis 1 says. There is no objective basis for taking that as an other genre. So, contra Dr. Craig, yes, uh, it inspiration inerrancy does require that we believe what the bible says about creationism which is young earth creationism let's continue now i mentioned that for decades i've been uh skeptical that we should press these sorts of details um for literality that's an interesting question why why for decades has he thought 
that we should not press this for literality. It's certainly written in a literal way. So why not press it for literality? What would you think? I, I suppose maybe he's one of those who thinks that the uh, secular science is correct. So then the only way not to give up the uh, belief in the Bible is to twist it around and not take it literally. I really can't see any other reason myself. If it's not for the claims of secular science... Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. I don't see any Christian scholar going against what the text says. As, as we point out before, this is what Christians believe through all the years, and it didn't change until secular science started making claims to the contrary. So if we don't press literality, then what should we do? And Packer was one of my guides on this. Uh, when I heard Packer, he would describe it as what he called dramatic history. Mm. It, these were historical events, but they've been dramatized in a colorful way. Who's Packer? Is, uh, he, does, is he a Hebrew scholar? Uh, he J.I. Packer he was a very well-known uh, Christian scholar and apologist. I don't know what his level of competence in Hebrew was, but I'd be curious to know why should we consider this dramatized history? Why is it dressed up, and what does that even mean to say that it's dressed up? Does it mean to say that there are non-historical elements here? Are there things that are made up? And again, we'd have to ask, why take it that way? And when you do that, I mean, is there anywhere in the Bible where you can say it's dramatized? If, if you can start saying that, then um, who knows what's true and what isn't? What about the resurrection? That is something that will be an issue, won't it? Let's listen to him continue and explain what he means by dramatized history. Well, I think that's good, but it isn't as technical and as careful as Jacobson's categorization of mytho-history. And, mm -hmm. and so I think they're talking about the same thing, but I think Jacobson has a technically more correct genre analysis of Genesis 1 to 11. What do we think of that? Uh, I, I don't know. It seems, seems to me like they're now using jargon and, and getting off the uh, point of the, the problem, which is not you don't take it literally, then you are um, undermining the credibility of the Bible. That That is an issue. Like once you think that, hey, we'll give it a better term, we'll call it mytho-history, that seems to me that's a dramatized version of saying, nope, the Bible doesn't mean what it says here. And it, it really doesn't make it any better. He mentions this Jacobson. He's talking about Torquil Jacobson, uh, who was an Assyriologist, a world expert in Assyriology and in Sumerian literature. Now, I wonder why we would think that what Jacobson has to say about Assyrian and Sumerian writings and myths are relevant to the Bible. Uh, these people were pagans. 
They were not instructed by God. Their writings were not God-breathed, so of course they made up myths. Why would we think that the Bible is like that? Why should we think that the Bible is like that? But that is where it goes. You read some of these Old Testament scholars, like John Walton and Michael Heiser, and honestly, I can't really see a difference. The way they treat the Old Testament, uh, the early chapters of it, the early chapters of Genesis, I really can't see a difference between that and the pagan ancient Near Eastern literature. And now they'll say, no, no, it's, it's really not that. But simply putting this imprimatur on it, saying that, well, it's, it's, it's the word of God, I don't see how that carries a lot of weight. As the old saying goes, it walks like a duck, it talks like a duck, it's a duck. So when you treat Genesis 1 as mytho-history, just like the Assyrian, pagan Assyrian, pagan Sumerian literature, I'm not sure where you can really draw a difference here. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.